against the oppressive boredom, disrespect, and objectification of being a kept woman in a patriarchal society. As the movie's title indicates, though, our young protagonist is not one to be content with a life of humiliation and immobility. And once she finds an object of her own desire, she's willing to do some pretty extreme things to to make sure that that she gets it. Um, Alan, two weeks in a row. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you here, as always. All right. Always a pleasure. Um, And we're talking about another movie without a lot of words, we were saying. (laughs) Yeah, last week was Dunkirk, which a war movie without too many words. And now we have... uh, a murder movie, I and guess, you know, th- this one may be as violent as Dunkirk. Maybe not a not as on a macro level, but there, there's certainly plenty of uh, plenty of blood and conspiracy and violence to to whet the appetite in this uh, Northern England small estate drama. Why do they call it Northern England? It sure sounds like Scotland, of course. So it, of I, course, the, the 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 accent, I guess, is Yorkshire or something so like that. So it was filmed in Northumberland, which is, I guess, right on the Scottish-British border. Oh, that's so, right. But all of the, I mean, all the highlands, it, it kind of looks, it's proximate enough to Scotland that if we, if we listeners, if we call it Scotland, I apologize. It's called Lady Macbeth, for God's sake. Yeah. Well, Lady, <laughs> Don't but, hold it against us. Well, that's right. And the, <laughs> the Macbeth, Macbeth is to... Uh, Edinburgh, what Smith is to uh, New York City. It's a very common name. Macbeth Cleaners, right, right. Macbeth Auto Repair. So it's easy easy to visualize what this part of the world will look like, even if it's uh, on the British side rather than the Scottish side. Um, but so, uh, okay, Lady Macbeth. There are, there are several recurring visual motifs in the small but luscious British film that, that hint at emotional variations in the daily life of Catherine Lester, played by Florence Pugh, on this isolated northern British estate. Time and again, we see her maid, Anna, played by Naomi Aki, push through her bedroom doors and open the window shutters to wake up Catherine with a flood of sunlight. Sometimes this action is done with annoyance, sometimes with surprise, fear, sympathy, depending on what Anna finds in Catherine's bed. We also see Catherine sitting at the dining room table, picking at her food and staring down her table mate, whether that be her vile father-in-law, her smoldering lover, her blank and befuddled cat, or her tongue-tied servant. Uh, but the recurring set of images that most captivated me describes times of isolated self-reflection in the parlor. We see a close-up of the back of Catherine's head, uh, her intricately braided hair like grapes on a vine, and then a reverse shot of Catherine sitting in the middle of an ornate couch, posture erect in a magnificent blue dress, a still and lifeless ornament among many. At times, we see her literally falling asleep in place, her confinement and boredom sapping her life from her. Uh, then we see her alert with fear, anticipation, and excitement, not wanting to be caught out by her father-in-law, but flush with anticipation of her next romantic tryst. Then we see her pale, aghast, and emptied, utterly defeated by her own malicious actions. Uh, so, Alan, my, my question for you is, as you watch Lady Macbeth, which of these various emotional states of Catherine Lester did you find yourself in? Were you bored to oblivion and falling asleep in your seat, your head nodding and your posture erect? Were you anxious and eager to see the next bloody twist in her romantic machinations, or were you shocked and appalled by the violent lengths our protagonist would go to to be with her beloved? So you've given me an A, a B, and a C, but you haven't given me like a D, all of the above, or an E, none of the above. I would say like E, none of the above. I was um, I was intrigued by this by this movie because um, I, you know I knew I knew I was watching a movie with. Um, um, you know, I was in the hands of a real director, and this was a this was a real movie. And I was also really interested in a, a bit of the backstory. Apparently, apparently, it's based on a Russian novel. 
Lady Macbeth of the Matensk district by right. Nikolai Leskov. Yeah, and apparently in the in the middle to in the last quarter of the 19th century, all these Russian writers, including even more famous ones like Turgenev, uh, wrote tales in which they translated uh, um, Shakespeare plays, especially the tragedies, somehow to to um, their own audiences. So you know. Um, it was none of, none of the above because uh, there was a real kind of Rasputin quality about this whole thing. You knew things bad uh, were going to happen, um, uh, poisonings and so forth. I was I was waiting for all that. I'll tell you the the reason I um uh, uh you know sort of had but you're not so you're not going with with uh, option A the the board to tears option even though it sounds like you may have found certain machinations a little predictable or well, a little too uh all right full disclosure presented. one of, well, full disclosure one of my first notes is that i'm getting a little bored with this string of highly composed pictures and then my note number 2 says something to the effect that um uh the uh, in the inside rigidly composed mise-en-scene i'm i'm really getting interested in the furniture uh, so this, but 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 you know the director is holding these scenes. Um, um, I'm not bored, but but uh, you know I'm sort of. I found myself asking for the the plot or the emotional um, meaning of each of these composed scenes, and um, I think my issue is that I I I don't know what this world is. You sort of don't quite know the time although it's kind of late Victorian by the dress. There are some wonderful scenes where she puts on her corset, and she has assistants putting on her corset. But I don't get, for example, all the black servants. I mean, somebody has to explain to me why in a southern Scotland or northern England there are all these people who sound like Bob Marley or something. Where, where, did, all, where, where, where did all these servants come from? Is it, is it not unusual to have... Uh, so it's almost as if the movie is... Uh, is uh, intriguingly, but irritatingly at the same time, um, crying out for me for more context. And I don't think it would be uh, totally ir- irrational to expect a, a 19th century kind of British landed estate to have uh, slaves, Afro-Caribbean slaves in uh, Britain, especially in the, the early 19th century. I mean, Britain would be as implicated in, in employing slave labor as uh, as the United States or anywhere else in, in the Western world. I, I mean, I, I did, there is very little context provided for this movie. And I think that... But it, they're not slaves. It, She's a they're, servant. They're, right. They're, they're servants. Although I think that one of the things that this movie does well is that uh, nominal categories of kind of occupation and household are really meaningless when you get down to the actual kind of power relationship between people. Yes, uh, Catherine Lester is nominally the wife of, I don't even know the, the name of the husband, but he has a relatively small role in the movie. But but yes, she she's the wife. But in fact, she's a piece of property that has been bought by the father-in-law for the husband to be a vehicle for uh, right for bearing children, for looking pretty alongside other pretty and calm and static things. Uh, I think that even if the the servants or the maids, the groomsmen, uh, not not all of the the servants are of color, I and mean, there there are a few kind of whiter British servants in, in that stable in that scene where we see them kind of horsing around <laughs> in a really bizarre and violent, uh, if jovial way. But I think that uh, the I mean, actually the the part of this movie that I was most interested in was 
where it led in terms of its critique of race relations and maybe of the the cluelessness and like rapacity of um of the white privilege that this character embodies and that she is someone who is pretty brutally oppressed by the patriarchal society in which she lives and yet she also participates in this uh almost thoughtless disregard for the humanity of her servants who are almost who are almost all black but tom why are these people acting the way they are i mean you know (laughs) i mean it's almost as if it's a kind of performance of brutality a performance of uh you know white guys uh owning uh uh owning women and uh and uh treating them like livestock and that i mean what, that character... what, what, what 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 merits this i mean it, it so th- that's why i mean yeah. the context is confusing it's as if it's a, a demonstration of how bad things were almost a kind of um uh a, a seminar in in uh misogyny and all kinds of terrible stuff which i guess is designed to explain or, or why Catherine takes the turn that she does you know um, uh, I mean, I, I don't think that this movie is, and perhaps this would be a good point to bring in any comparisons or influences to uh, from the Shakespeare, from the role of Lady Macbeth character in that Shakespearean drama, in that I don't think this is mapping out kind of an historical, uh, kind of realistic description of actual social relations, but it seems to be trying to burrow down into something a little bit deeper and something maybe exploring uh the nature of of evil almost i mean if lady Macbeth in the shakespearean drama is someone who her motivations are a little suspect and difficult to understand as well i mean yes she she wants to be queen but the the kind of the brutal extent to which she uh kind of makes that rise to the throne possible is something it's it's a little difficult to rationally wrap your head around well, I mean, all of the people that you're willing to slaughter uh including husband and even yourself in order to achieve that level of power um it's not it's almost not a rational deliberation but it's more this i don't know this question of whether there is something kind of a root core evil that is motivating this type of malicious behavior and i think watching Catherine lester in this movie it's a legitimate question to ask is is she an embodiment of evil here? Is oh. she just a, a kind of uncontrolled force of, of violence and, and kind of selfish havoc? Or is there enough, are there enough kind of social and historical cues that provide some kind of understanding for, for why she is acting in the way she does? Because she, she really, I mean, she hurts a lot of people. <laughs> and she, she loses it. Both vulnerable but, and stronger. Than well, her. you know, as a former... Uh, a uh, 10th grade English teacher who had many, many times assigned my students, what is Lady Macbeth's motivation? I will tell you that, you know, I'm not the, uh, I'm not the first person to suggest that there's a whole act missing in Macbeth. It's one of Shakespeare's shortest plays and her transformation, uh, you know, from, uh, dutiful wife to, to, um, uh, you know, a character out of the Sopranos or something or worse, uh, and um, is uh, it's unclear w- what happens to her, and I think there's something, uh, you know, so- something missing here, or we have to infer what it is that um, it seems to be. Uh, ha- it seems to be having been um, denied a sexual relationship with her husband, she turns into this kind of nymphomaniac, 
and uh, what what seems to be motivating her is is she you know she had such great orgasms with the uh, with the groomsmen. She just wants to have that over and over again, and she's willing to kill not only her her father in law, not only her husband, whom she clubs to death with some with some uh, andiron poker or something. But also, for some strange reason, the the five year old child that was you know fathered by her husband off of some sort of um, middle class black woman who shows up at a certain point in the story, which was which is strange to me. And she's willing to smother that kid to death, which she does, uh, and gets away with it somehow. It is in order to keep uh, Sebastian, her lover, around. And what's surprising is that once she is able to, you, you forgive her her murders in order to, of the husband and the horrible uh, father-in-law to break away. But I think one of the nice things about this movie is that your expectation is that she's going to turn into like a liberated woman. Instead, she turns into this kind of a sexual animal that's willing to kill for anything. Uh, it, it took that surprising turn, and uh, I think it's it, it's... Uh, at that point, it's sort of like, who's she going to kill next and what's she going to get away with? And sort of lost a little interest for me. That's so funny. You know, actually, even though I feel like we've we followed a pretty similar trajectory or understood a pretty similar trajectory with this movie of it starting out as a a a very intense kind of lustful romantic relationship between this uh, this confined, you know, British uh, heiress on an estate to or a wife on an estate with a a young rowdy like groomsman in the fields it kind of starts out at that but then it it moves more towards oh my god what, who who is she going to kill and what's she going to kill next but oddly enough that i was i was much more interested in that latter part than in the first because something about this movie the the be the movie's kind of first half dis- description of a hysterical woman who is kind of absolutely infatuated with her romantic interest and unable to really live without him. I guess that really that goes throughout the movie. That's not just a matter of the first half. But that representation of a woman on screen, I was not too interested in and didn't find particularly uh, insightful or new. It, it just it seemed to be reducing her to this uh, person of just kind of animalistic, kind of lustful and. And uh, in the way that her husband dismisses her as just an ornament and her father-in-law as a vehicle for children, she seemed to be reduced by the film and the filmmaker to this, you know, this embodiment of just like need of sexual activity, which is fine. I I think there are plenty of, you know, visual explanations throughout the beginning of the movie for why she feels so detached from everyone around her. I mean, the, the motif of her having to undress while facing the wall and her husband getting in bed. Uh, is certainly a quite a powerful silent representation of of the emotional abuse if not you know physical abuse that was taking place in the relationship but by the time that we get to the latter half where she is just kind of unmotivated committing all of these murders um i found it even i don't know i i was i was much more compelled by that part of the movie because i really had no idea where each scene was going next and the more expressive she becomes with her body the more inscrutable she became with her face and i really found her to be a character that much like lady macbeth you're just kind of terrified with because you don't really understand well right monstrous people are very interesting and she she really turns into quite a monster and because she's so beautiful and has overcome so much over and over again you you know you the expectation is she'll become like you know someone you want to have a glass of wine with but she is utterly terrifying and um but do you, do you think that she's understandable? Well, no, I, I don't, don't think know. I she's mean, understandable at mm-hmm, all. Mm-hmm. I think I, I mean I you know, uh, I mean I understand Lady Macbeth who says unsex me now, 
so that she could take on essentially what what you know what the what the play suggests are the masculine characteristics, you know, uh, the ability to kill. This woman says, "Sex me now," and um, and she wants it so much that she is willing to kill kill people for sex. Uh, and, uh, but, but it's probably not just for sex. It's, I mean, forgive me, uh, you know, even though it's a movie and the visuals predominate over, you know, uh, psychology and everything, I, I, I just, I, I, I'm missing why she's acting the way she is. And, uh, it's, I, I just find it troubling, but to the very end, she's calculating and she escapes the hangman and I think an, an, an end that's all too tidy. And it's it's not just uh, Catherine Lester's character that is perhaps underwritten. In, in that Cosmo Drivers, who plays Sebastian, I mean, this the char- her love interest, I found one of the least interesting <laughs> characters on screen. I mean, he is literally only, you know, instructed to to smolder and to look attractive and enticing and then to to feel quite a you know a bit of penitence towards the end of his action and i found it quite an an interesting uh um you know parallel to Macbeth. i mean if if shakespeare's Macbeth uh is oriented around the character who is aspiring but conflicted about uh you know what it takes to become king here the Macbeth character is thoroughly you know even more emasculated than Macbeth and shakespeare um if if uh sebastian is indeed that parallel uh and by the time of his confession at the end he's he is you know (laughs) he we see that this this character who who, you know, at one point was dressing up in the master's clothing and perhaps had inherited the throne, uh, is is someone who, you know, Lady Macbeth is kind of dis- is defined by her decisiveness. Like, if anything, she she is capable of making decisions uh, confidently. And that's what we see over and over again. We don't always understand the decisions, and we certainly don't approve of the outcomes. But I think that this Sebastian character is reduced to... He kind of is reduced in the same way that the movie reduces other characters to animals. He's just kind of a, you know, an an object of desire that doesn't get to do much else besides be the sacrificial lamb at the end. Well, that's right. I mean, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but the, you know, Shakespeare's characters are more interesting. Uh, ultimately, we understand, or at least um, Macbeth understands, that his wife has had some sort of breakdown as she wanders around, washing her hands and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, and and frankly, yes, Sebastian the, Macbeth. I mean, he his his turnaround to feel uh, all, all of a sudden guilty about all the things that he's done. Um, I mean, all we see is him um, uh, on his knees at the grave of, uh, I guess, the guy he helped to kill. Um, and then he's this, he, he is especially turned off when she um, has recruited him to smother. This little five-year-old and what an boy. incredible shot that is! I mean, this is primarily she, a visual movie. I mean, this is a movie that, you know, without its careful attention to the you know placement of bodies and the kind of lush visuals of the interior of the state, would not be too interesting. I think, but no. that shot with the smothering of the child—it's just a, a single kind of unbroken long take from one corner of the room where we see Sebastian come in through the darkness in the window, right. and, then, and, and we're fascinated you know, by stop. that because here you have two people. Uh, you know, one is holding Sebastian's holding the little boy's legs as he's struggling, and uh, Catherine has got a pillow over the kid's head, and um, you you have no sympathy for them whatsoever. Uh, you know the, the, all these bad things that they're doing for the sake of being able to hop in bed, and when they kill this child, but you don't revile them somehow. They've it's almost it, it it 
you, you you don't hate them. There's a kind of there's a kind of clinical quality about your feeling towards these characters, and there's very much of a clinical quality to the filmmaking. Everything composed on the inside, still, long takes, uh, camera doesn't move, uh, and and we should tell our listeners, Tom, that you know, you know, she's she's told many many times, don't go outside. The air is unhealthy, and so on and so forth. Yet when she does go outside, when the when her um, oppressors are out of the way uh there's a handheld camera and she's she's somehow on the moor uh like like a girl in a breck commercial or something and it's bouncing around and all that which is a you know a, but i but i feel like the i mean those <laughs> yes that 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 image does make it sound uh, a, a bit silly in its depiction of like quite literal freedom but i think freedom but i think those sequences are used seldomly enough that they do, you know, they get they get the point across I mean, well, yeah. that, that she is, you know, this this beautiful like ornate house is in fact a tomb for her, and the few you know glimpses of freedom that she gets, we do see a kind of legitimate non conniving happiness. Right. But what is she um, liberated to do? Just to go on and kill? I mean, this is a part of the context problem. There is a village. Well, that's why I mean, all why of doesn't the... she run off to the village and? And uh, become a barmaid or something. Well, I think it's deliberate. Or... <laughs> I think it's deliberate that all of the murders take place within the home. They don't p- take place in the outdoors, where right. you know this area, except for the, this one pretty incredible <laughs> shooting of the horse sequence, where oh she God. takes she shoots the she, horse. <laughs> she takes the horse. But how wonderful is that detail where she picks up her husband's shotgun, she shoots the horse, and then she goes flying back because of the recoil, and then we see the horse. It is, but, but it, and it's, it's just, also in the, confi- the relative confinement of the woods. I mean, if if Burnham Wood is is such an you know right. important harbinger of doom in Macbeth, right. here we have the the woods are no more of an escape for this character than, right. than the, the houses. That's right, and the castle is is the the same kind of uh, Scottish castle, you know. I mean, I, I was thinking of those lines in Auden's poem about uh, world, the beginning of World War II, September 1st, 1939, you know, about what made Hitler Hitler. I mean, the, you know, use the word evil, which I'm not sure may, maybe in a, with a small e applies to this. But one of his great lines is those to whom evil is done do evil in return. I mean, it's like a, this is like a psychopathology, uh, which apparently is embedded in the social structure of this and then she she just um uh her, her sexuality it you know drives her to uh to, to do things as uh, as evil as do, uh, was done to her it, well first i want to say uh you're listening to deep focus on WNHH LP New Haven's home for community radio i'm your host tom breen and i'm talking with Alan Powell about the new movie uh Lady Macbeth which is a kind of indirect adaptation of the shakespeare via a russian 19th century uh novelist named Nikolai Leskov um can we I guess talk just for a second about Florence Pugh's performance as Lady Macbeth because she really is. I mean, there may be five or six characters in the movie. This is a pretty small cast, very low budget, um, and she anchors just about every scene. Um, I hinted at it in my setup that you know she is able to communicate these pretty intense emotional variations just through expressions on her face, uh, and really, I mean, her body remains relatively still uh, on the couch i mean if you sw- if you weren't looking at her face you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell like the, the tone of the scene but what she is able to do through a relative i mean she's she's never kind of giddy at any point she's, she's rarely laughing or screaming or this isn't a woman of emotional extremes but i, I don't know i found the subtlety with which she was able to express uh the the longing the desperation the confusion anticipation and then ultimately the kind of blood curdling uh uh, will to commit violence at the end was 
quite quite an emotional range for an actress whom I hadn't heard of and seems quite young. Um, it, it seemed worthy of a Shakespearean performance, even if maybe the characters didn't did not have the depth that we would expect from from that dramatist. But did you? I don't know. Was there enough in Florence Pugh's performance to keep you interested in in how she was going to interpret this character at any moment? Oh yeah, no. I, I mean, I think that it totally holds the thing together. She's she's uh, she's beautiful, and uh, you know, I mean, there are some faces that sort of reveal the potential for everything, but but uh, but you know, kind of hold it in abeyance. Um, who's that actress that we talked about? Uh, who was in the? Um, she plays the linguist in that that movie about the arrival of. Um, oh, Amy Adams. Amy Adams in it's Arrival. A, it's the same kind of. It's the same kind of. It's a face on which, you know, you. It, it's sort of like a tabula rasa face. It could go this way or that. And uh, I, no, I think I, I think you're absolutely right. And the uh, the movie poster has a picture of her sitting on this Victorian divan, uh, and I think her hands are folded over her stomach and. Only after you see the movie do you realize, and that's how the movie ends in that kind of long-held sequence. But her hands are not only over her uh, stomach, but it's a pregnant stomach, or preg- a, um, a pregnancy there near the stomach. Um, the you did mention that you didn't maybe didn't fall for, or didn't quite understand the maybe third section of the movie where we're introduced to a middle-aged uh, black woman named Agnes who brings the supposed ward of her recently deceased husband at Catherine Lester's hands. Um, And the movie shifts from being one of uh, where Catherine has kind of conquered the men in her life and has achieved, you know, quite a bit of sexual liberation. And there's this wonderful scene where she's sitting at the table uh, with her groomsman now dressed up as the master of the house. And she's wearing just like a bathrobe and her legs up on the table. And she's, you know, she might as well be like dropping grapes into her mouth as the, as the maid looks on in, in horror. Uh, And then all of a sudden the movie takes a very, quite an abrupt shift and we have a whole different, you know, character. I I would have loved to see much more of that character, or maybe a whole movie around that character. Um, This woman who brings in, I don't know if you bought that she was indeed the looking after a legitimate ward, but I don't know who she she was, but she was interesting as was the, as was the maid Anna who goes mute with horror. Why does she go mute? And is she going to speak? And actually, if she could have spoken at the end, that might have sealed Catherine's fate in a different way. Certainly an element of maybe a Shakespearean mystery, uh, right. you know, especially in a play that opens with the three witches, you know, brewing something in their cauldron. It kind of makes sense that something magical would take away the voice of, uh, well, Shakespeare, of the witness. Right. But, Shakespeare is full of words, and this movie is absent words. Um, oh, it's a movie movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yes, I know. I, I just, I, 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 I had difficulties, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I had difficulties uh, when when this uh, um, this middle aged woman returns after Catherine has offered to to uh, and why uh, to, to to sit with the boy while he recovers from an injury when he ran away. She, the middle class black woman, believes uh, Catherine's story somehow that the boy died in his sleep or something like that while she, you know. I mean, why, why, she was always so suspicious of Catherine up to that point. Well, I think that's a comment upon the race relations in this movie, and that regardless of whether or not that character, Agnes, believed what Catherine said, 
inherent to the nature of their relationship as a, a black woman and a white woman, the white woman's word always takes precedence. And even if the story, I mean, clearly the doctor and the lawyer, whoever else are in that room at the time questioning Catherine, I don't think that anyone believes that Catherine's story is more credible than anyone else's. And yet, uh, because she is the mistress of the house, um, it's not her who winds up bound and gagged in the back of a a um a cart that is you know wheeling off characters to their doom at the very end it's assumed much like the man's you know prerogatives is assumed for the first you know two-thirds of the movie um what Catherine says you know weighs a lot <laughs> there's another well, beautiful scene or you know quite striking scene of women literally being weighed for how much they are worth do you remember when she goes into the stable and finds anna the maid naked and being weighed by all the stable boys who seem to be doing something quite sadistic to the maids Right. Um, and 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 that kind of uh, love and jealousy. But at the end, Catherine just right. weighs more. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I, I you know, you you, uh, I like the way you give the benefit of the doubt for all these things to these, uh, you know, kind of uh, to to social situations in a movie that is is so um, uh, uh, you know ungenerous about describing the larger social context. Be reticent. <laughs> yeah, reticent about it, you know, and deliberately so. Um, but but it's certainly a movie that we're you know we're we're talking about it, and uh, it's always interesting to to um, to have a kind of translation from uh, one era and one medium to another. Um, the, I mean, this I I think that we'd also be remiss not to talk at all about uh, the sexual relationship between uh, Catherine and the various men in her life in the first half because that really does define her character for at least the first 45 minutes of the movie the i mean what what did you think of the i mean the opening sequences of her and her relationship with her husband where she's made to stand in a corner and undress well 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 he uh either really resentfully gets in bed or masturbates or whatever it is that he does and then that juxtaposed juxtaposed with this just incredible burst of sexual vitality uh with the the groomsman was I'm not, I'm not quite sure what. Well, it's just it's just weird it's, and dysfunctional beyond belief, and, yet visually and it's dynamic. not explained yet. It's visually gripping yeah. uh, because you know we haven't seen that before, right? Yeah. I, I mean, when men abuse women, you know, it's usually in the maybe traditional ways, but the expected way. Well, we're certainly expecting a much more physical encounter between the two. That's right, but, and we and we don't find out actually until more than halfway through the movie after he returns from his absence to deal with some explosion i assume he's an engineer of some kind uh we only find out that you know he, he, the reason she's his wife is that uh his father bought her and a piece of land that was not good enough to support you know to support a skinny cow that was that would be worth more than she is he didn't want this wife um you know we think it's we think that he's some sort of sexually very dysfunctional guy but then we find out that that's not the case because he apparently has fathered this kid with them with the uh with the with the middle with a black one with the daughter of with the, 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 the middle-aged black woman right so so it, you know it sort of doesn't make sense but the the point of the movie is you're supposed to be drawn into the thrall of the isolation causing all the dysfunction and uh and worry about it's almost becomes like a horror movie at a certain point I, I think the the reason why I wanted to bring up the sexual aspect or dimension of this movie before we end is because it did. If if this movie helped shed any light for me on the original Lady Macbeth on on the Shakespearean drama, 
it's that uh, you know it adds an aspect of humiliation to the our understanding of the motivation of this character. In that reading, you know, I, I read through at least just Lady Macbeth's introduction uh, in in the Shakespearean play last night, and you're right. She, oh, I mean, literally her, the, her very, you know, she we first see her reading a letter from Macbeth about how he's, he's encountered the weird sisters and he he fears and anticipates becoming king, and then she asks to be unsexed, right? To be filled from kind of toe to top with this masculine violence. Um, but I think that what this movie does before we see Lady Macbeth unsexed, or at least filled up with this masculine violence, is we see the humiliation that leads to that uh, that explosion of violence. And, and I Where, think- Where, in the movie or in, in Macbeth? In the movie. I think right. in the, mo- the movie adds this, not just sexual longing, an intense, like, se- sexual- um, you know the the connection that comes with sexuality for this character like actual connection to people but the the humili- like she is just kind of overflow she's she's fallen asleep as much from boredom as just being reduced to someone who's not human and i think that humiliation adds an important understanding to i don't know any character who winds up acting in kind of irrationally violent ways at first they must feel slighted to the point beyond humanity and i think we see her you know much in the way that anna is made to walk on all fours by the father-in-law at one point yeah, to that's make her sound like an animal right. you know i think that she, that Catherine feels as if that's what she's doing the entire, you know, first half of the movie that she's walking on all fours for these right, people. Right, but but uh, you know, Lady Macbeth has a pretty good relationship with her husband. I think, uh, you know, they're a power couple, but it's a good relationship. But the the, the, the this is the problem when you have a movie called uh, Lady Macbeth and you go you do a tit for tat and you're looking for these comparisons because um, the whole point of, of Shakespeare's Macbeth is that. The husband, the, uh, I mean, that's, they're married. They have a relationship um, that's, you know, fairly good. This is, and it's been longstanding and they, you know, she she wants him to be more ambitious and so on and so forth. Um, but this is, you know, marriage that hasn't been consummated or it's just begun. And um, it's sort of, uh, and and who's Duncan? Is Duncan the father-in-law that, that uh, but... But uh, oh sure, Duncan's the father-in-law, and right? Then... But he's not. But right, and but he, she kills him without her husband's involvement. Uh, uh, he does. She doesn't have to. Um, I, I don't think. Uh, and then the husband is that Banquo, and then there's Banquo's son oh, yeah. going I mean, over the end. Right. But I, I think. I mean, it doesn't I mean, have it, to map on exactly to Shakespeare. Right. I wouldn't want it to map exactly to Shakespeare. But right, I do but think it, that there's. But it yeah. teases you to look for those things, yeah. and that leads to a kind of confusion. I think yeah. sometimes. Or, or, I think there's something audacious about labeling your movie Lady Macbeth. You know, I think that it's asserting that this, yeah, that there are going to be certain story elements that are parallel, but also to assert a certain uh, like cultural value and uh, and introspection that you know we associate with. Uh, what I think what the what the filmmaker is saying is that you we don't really understand why Lady Macbeth in Shakespeare's play does what she does. Uh, uh, there, there's there's something that snaps between Act Three and Act Four. And it's a very short play, and I think I think I think a piece is missing. And they, uh, it's as if he's saying, "I'm going to give you the same thing here. We're just going to." I mean, she snaps; something happens to her, and it can't be really explained by the degradation she suffered, because there are other uh, uh, options that she could have taken. Uh, let's say after the first justifiable murder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if the first right, if the humiliation drives uh, to the first justifiable murder, then think about the the. Um, context for the second murder you know her husband is sitting quite 
placidly in the bedroom and even, you know, recognizes that she has been uh, having an adulterous affair, but doesn't seem threatening in any way. He seems, you know, he, he wants to punish her, but he's not someone, he's going to punish her by just asking her to stop. And he's worried him. about his but reputation. Then what, does, what does she do? She pulls out her lover from literally from the closet, puts him on the bed, undoes his pants and mounts him. And that's, that's what leads to the murder. And I, I think that's a, a pretty wonderful. And then by the but, third murder, there's, you know, no provocation whatsoever. It's just a matter of right. assaulting the child. So I, you, you could really review this movie. And, uh, uh, you know, one of its achievements is that it, at three or four different points, what you just described, uh, the murder of the child, um, uh, and uh, the, the husband, the father-in-law, the, and father, the, horse. And the father-in-law and the horse with the recoil of the gun. Each time uh, the, <laughs> these, these things are done creatively and they are done differently and contrary to your expectation. And that really, uh, that certainly is worth a trip and with to less movies. motivation. I feel like with these murder as I mean, the motivations for the murders become because I committed this earlier murder. Now I have to commit another. And it seems to be uh, a, a pretty fascinating way to look at the kind of ripple effect of violence. Because who knows if maybe she hadn't committed that first one, maybe all the other guys would still be around. Right, right. <laughs> and 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 one one of the powerful things, of course, about Shakespeare's Macbeth is that uh, uh, he is uh, uh, he's swept up in a tide after the first murder, and then he has to you know go and kill Banquo and uh, uh, everybody else in order to. Uh, so that uh, what do you call it? the cover? The cover up is worse than the crime. I think I think that's a great place to end. I feel like we worked, we we muddled our way towards an actual insight about this movie. Don't commit the first one, folks, and then you'll save yourself a lot of trouble towards the end. But I, but I I really do think that that is one of the most important developments for this character, and that she um, the reason that she keeps committing people is because she is is so isolated. Um, both in her the misogyny she faces and also, I would argue, the white privilege that she embodies, that she cannot conceive of another way to kind of mediate conflict besides killing people. <laughs> and by the end, I mean, that is the only tool that she can turn to because she knows that it temporarily resolves the concerns presented before her. And I think that that is um, a representation of a, a pretty sadistic and, and crazed person, but... Um, What's she going to do with the baby? So is Lady Macbeth. That, what's she going to do with the baby that, that, that in the sequel that she's about to have? <laughs> Imagine if this movie, this I think it was made for half a million dollars. This half a million dollar British art house film gets a sequel, <laughs> Lady Macbeth too. The son of Catherine Lester. Baby Macbeth. <laughs> baby Macbeth. Little Mac. <laughs> baby Macbeth. Well, Alan, uh, thank you. I hope that Baby Macbeth was taught in your 10th grade high school English class <laughs> at some point. But um, thank you for seeing this movie and for chatting about it. It sounds like a little, uh, I don't know if it gets a full recommendation from Mr. Appel. I would say see it. I think that it's visually interesting it, enough but, uh, that I would you know, recommend it. But, but not on a first date. <laughs> uh, you can find a complete archive of Deep Focus episodes at deepfocusradio.com. And coming up next, uh, some more WNHH Radio.